Okay, now the part about taking your Bibles. Take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 2. Thanks to Jason and Moon for helping us illuminate this book. Just to remind us where we've been, we've talked about uh, nothing but solid if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And then it goes into a great big long detail about following Christ's example in humility. How He was very nature of God, but He didn't hold on to that. He let that go and emptied Himself and became a servant. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's the backdrop of what we're coming into today. And I want to just admit, as I tried to outline this passage, I actually came up with two different sermons. So I'm going to preach both of them. We're going to do the first one first, and then the second one um, after that. So if you need to go to the facilities, they're right back here. Just come right back on in. Um, let's read this passage first. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you will shine as lights, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial altar, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. What I want to tell you today are three, three points in the first sermon. Number one is work out. Number the second, the second one is don't whine. And the final one is celebrate. So let's talk about work out. What does it mean to work out? What does it mean to work out? When you, when you work something out, maybe a math problem. You know, 
carrier two minus. It takes some time. It takes some effort. That's one of the things that you think of when you work out. What's another thing that you think of when you work out? Yes, I think of moon. Is that what you said? Oh, you said sweat. Okay. I thought you were saying moon. You see the arms on that guy? He's got some arms. Do you think that um, God just made him that way? Stand up and let everybody see your arms. <laughs> he's like, he's uh, he's not buying that. But can, can let me ask you a question. Can you tell the difference? I mean, it's kind of like that guy up there. Um, sorry, I was saying moon is kind of like that guy up there. But, you know, when you work out, you can actually tell a big difference in your body. You know, people who work out, when I think of people who work out, I think of Daniel Hare. He works out. He's uh, on this insane, um, what is it called, CrossFit. And that's if any man will deny himself, he'll come after you, take up his cross and follow me, right? Is that what that's based on? These guys are crazy when they work out. They pick up rocks and throw them over their shoulder and just go like look at each other and go, Ugh. you know. I think of these Marines. You know, you gotta have some kind of psychological thing going on to like be the one that wants to be there first on the beach of any conflict all over the world. These guys work out. They do nothing but think about how to figure out what to do in an emergency situation. They're working it out. At your own workplace, I'm sure you spent hours working out how you're going to arrange your tasks to be able to accomplish everything that you want to accomplish. If you're pursuing school, you can't just sit down and read a book and do all the lessons in one day. You've got to figure out, you've got to work out a plan for accomplishing your studies. Work out. I think working out if you're gonna if you're gonna manage your home, you're gonna have to figure out who's gonna take out the trash, who's gonna, um, you know, clean the clean the dishes, who's gonna mop the floors, who's gonna pick up those shoes from in front of the house, in front of the door that everybody trips over. You have to work it out if you're gonna figure out how to train people to keep the shoes out from front of the door. It's a big accomplishment to work out. And sometimes, some people do better at work than others. Some people do better in the gym than other people. Some people do better in business. But it's all something that has to be worked out. has to be figured out. You can't just want to have huge muscles, purchase a Y membership, and then never go. I've purchased a Y membership for many years. I don't have big muscles. Why is that? I haven't worked out at the Y. Let's look back in this passage and other direction. There we go. 
Therefore, what are we supposed to work out according to this passage? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. By the way, look at that. Look at the, look at that verse. He's telling these people in Philippi that they obey the word, but not just when he's standing there watching him, but even more in their absence. And let me just put this in as a as a, a side point. I don't think it's it's actually the point that Paul makes up front that when you're serious about something, you don't have to have somebody just looking over your shoulder. They took their salvation seriously and they worked it out. And part of working that out was obedience. You know, it's a, you know, those of us who are rearing children in the process of rearing children, it's one thing to stand over top of your children and tell them what to do. An evidence of them really understanding or really working that out is when they're away from home. When they're at a friend's house. When they're faced with life's difficulty. How well have they worked that out? Paul's telling the Philippians that they have worked it out. But he says, what are we working out? I'm sorry. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I want us to just think about that in context. Work out your own salvation. Salvation is a gift that God gave you. You've got salvation, right? You're done. You're going to heaven. Well, even though he says that you've been given the gift of salvation, and by the way, he doesn't say work for your own salvation. Because we understand that salvation is not of works. But he says work out your own salvation. So what does work out your own salvation look like? Well, I'm sure it looks like a lot of different things to a lot of different people at a lot of different times. Let me ask you a question. Are there sins in your life that you consistently struggle with? Maybe you've struggled with as a teenager and you continue to struggle with it. It takes a lot of work to figure out how to get the the proper accountability, how to get the proper truth, how to believe the things that you need to believe to actually work out that salvation. And that's what Paul's encouraging to do. It's to work out your own salvation. And and let me let me see the, the, the prepositional phrase here says with fear and trembling. And many of you guys will understand, especially in Appalachia, maybe maybe all across this country, we had a generation of preachers that did nothing but give you what we would call um, hellfire, brimstone. And so what you're seeing now is kind of a cultural reaction to that. We react 
way, way, way away from that. Were they right? Were they wrong? Well, I'm sure some of it was right and some of it was wrong. But we've responded to that by saying, you know, we, we do, we, we say dumb stuff actually sometimes. We'll say things like, you'll see the word fear in the Bible and we'll say, well, that doesn't really mean fear. It kind of means respect. Um, and I think that's probably a pretty hard sell because in our overreaction maybe to this, the, 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 the fire and brimstone stuff, we, we say, you know, we emphasize God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. And we've got to, you know, he's kind of like a really nice grandpa that kind of hands you mints at the door. You know, he's kind of would fit in just fine here. And so we kind of react to that from the fire and brimstone way over here. And I think it kind of, it's, it's, it's something that we should be concerned about when we're reacting to things. But he said, fear and trembling. So when, when he, when that, when he says fear and trembling, it's kind of a hard sell to just say that's just respect. No. He means fear and trembling. That this is a serious thing. Whatever you're working out in your life with your salvation, it depends on you. And you should work it out. And you should come up with better and better plans for how you're going to meet the crises in your life and how you're going to think as a believer. You need to work out that salvation and you need to do it with fear and trembling. Now, let me, let me tell you what I think it's not saying. I'm not trying to say that there's a, you know, you have an attitude of fear that you're always living in a constant, perpetual state of anxiety. I don't think he's saying that here. But he's saying that you should work this out with great seriousness. It's so serious that he uses two words. Fear and trembling. I don't know about you, but when I've come to crises in my life, crises in my life, and had a lot of anxiety, usually the anxiety that I've had has been directed towards myself or towards the thing that I'm going through. So a lot of the things I'm afraid of are the things that I've done, the things that somebody else has done the things that aren't working out for me the way I wanted them to work out. And so I have fear and trembling about my own thoughts. But he's saying here in this passage something that's different than that. He's saying work out your own salvation, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The way we behave, the way we live this life should be something that's serious. And it should be something that we're not just afraid of the crisis, but we're, we're thinking through how we should respond to that crisis. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Let's scoot the next slide over. The second thing that he says in this passage is no, no, no whining at any time. No, he, he doesn't really say that in this passage. What does he say? He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling. Grumbling is one of those words. Let me see if you, I've got too many English people in here. Onomatopoeia. Is that right? Grumbling. 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 An onomatopoeia. I've got to say that word carefully. Is a word that kind of sounds like whatever it's describing. And so, this word is is one of those because it's grumbling. That's that's when you're talking about that word. You're, you're grumbling. You know, you're just kind of in low murmuring. He's saying, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I kind of shortened those into one word that said whining. But here's the here's the eternal word of God. That if you want to work out your own salvation, which is a part of being humble, one of the things that's going to characterize you is one of the things that's not going to characterize you is grumbling or disputing. When you think about grumbling, you know, I would just ask you to look at your own heart. When somebody that's in authority over you at work, in home, um, in any any a coach, you know, um, a school, when they say something that this is what we we need to do, does your heart go? Grumbling or disputing? Do you feel like you ever been around somebody that felt like they needed to argue with you about everything? Like you can't say the sky is blue without them saying, well, actually, you know, it's kind of the uh, azure color, which in Spanish is blue. Um, but, you know, I think it's kind of a light blue. I wouldn't really say it's blue. And they want to argue with you about everything. He says the child of God that's working out his salvation is doing it in humility without grumbling or disputing. Children, if your heart is always trying to explain to your parents exactly why everything that they just said is like, you know, you haven't really thought this through, Mom. You see, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And you've got to make these big, long explanations and you've got to dispute and you've got to argue and you've got to make sure that your point is being heard. Let me tell you something. This passage of Scripture is speaking to you. (laughs) So, Lily, listen up. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, let me just ask you a question. How much of the time is it okay to really dispute everything? or to grumble in your heart. I mean, you know, when you've got a real bad boss, or when you've got an authoritarian parent, or when you've got um, some kind of authority that's always telling you something that you disagree with, then 
it's okay to be grumbling and disputing. No, I don't think so. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I'm not saying that you have to always accept everything. Just as a side note, I'm not saying that you have to always accept everything that an authority in your life says to you without um, asking for clarification, without saying, well, can we think this thing through? I'm not trying to turn uh, children into Stepford children where you know they just do everything that their parents uh, say to do and, and to never have a voice. But listen to this. This is the eternal Word of God. I don't think that's the way we usually err. I think we usually err on the grumbling and disputing side. But let's look at this passage. Is there some magic in this passage? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the Word of life. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. If you are characterized by not grumbling and not disputing, how would that differentiate you from the rest of the world? Would the contrast be so stark as to say light in darkness? I mean, would that be how much of a contrast we're talking about here? If you were somebody that was characterized by not grumbling, not complaining, is it fair to say light and darkness? Well, that's what this passage says. He says that this world that you're living in is crooked and perverse. And let me just tell you something. It is so crooked and it's so perverse in so many different ways. In a lot of the ways we can identify and we can form coalitions and we can try to put forth a political candidate that, that straightens out all that stuff. That's not in this passage, by the way. I'm not saying that that's wrong to do those kind of things, but listen to where the power is. If this room is completely dark and outside of electrical failure of some kind or bulb failure, if this room is completely dark and we turn these lights on, does the light have any trouble dispelling the darkness? Is it like a fight between good and evil? Where evils, the, the darkness is kind of winning there for a while, but the lights really turn on brighter. When you flip a light switch on, again, outside of any mechanical failure, darkness disappears. And light is obvious. He's saying to us, hold on, holding fast to the Word of life. Holding fast to the Word of life. If you're somebody who's working out your own salvation and holding fast to the Word of life, you're going to shine like a light. 
you are going to shine like a light. It is going to be unusual if when everybody around you is grumbling and disputing and, you know, saying, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. That's, that, you know what? That's, that's a dumb way of doing things. You know, what they need to do is just do this. And let me tell you something. In our, I, I don't know if anybody, has anybody ever heard of a thing called Facebook? Yeah. Twitter. These are some new conventions. Actually, they're becoming very old conventions. But has anybody ever heard anybody on one of these social media sites complain about something? Oh, wait. Have you ever heard of anybody on one of these social media sites disputing with other people about their political opinion? I know you may find this hard to believe, but people use those social media sites to do nothing but argue. I recommend hiding those people. <laughs> um, if you can figure out how to do that, it's one of those buttons up there on the right. Um, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say that if you are not one of those kinds of people on Facebook or on Twitter, It's going to be obvious. It's going to shine out like a light. You're going to stick out like a light if you don't want to argue with everything coming and going. If you're not the disputing type, the grumbling type, you're going to shine out, you're going to stick out like lights. A lot of us have been guilty of evoking all of our our moralism and our Christianity and disputing with everybody coming and going on some of these social media sites thinking that that's what's going to help. And thinking that saying something louder or talking over... Have you ever watched TV? It's also this new thing. Have you ever watched Fox News, for instance? That... That thing just about, watching Fox News about gives me a panic attack. Because all they do is like argue with each other. And I, I flipped it over to CNN, I think yesterday. We were trying to find out about this typhoon that's headed towards uh, Hong Kong. So we were looking for this and turning on CNN and they were yelling at each other. We flip it back over to Fox and they were yelling at each other. They're just talking. They're just, you know, well, that's silly. The president is a moron. You know, I heard those words on Fox News. That's crazy. You know, that we, we, we get into this kind of repartee of putting forth our ideas louder and louder and louder, thinking that that's going to somehow convince people. Let me tell you a powerful way of convincing people. Hold fast to the word of truth. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Again, let me just again say what I'm not saying, just to, for for clarity's sake, not because I feel like I need to explain away the Word of God because it says what it says and it'll stand without my words. You know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to have a well-reasoned argument with somebody. I'm not even saying that it's inappropriate to do that on Facebook. But the difference between having in your character just something where you're always arguing with people and you're always grumbling or complaining about whatever the state of affairs is, that's a problem.
That's a problem. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And if you do that, if you hold fast to the Word of life, it's going to be the difference is going to be like light and darkness. It's a difference between night and day. Paul says, if you are those kind of people in the day of Christ, I can be proud that I didn't labor. I didn't run in vain or labor in vain. Let me just tell you this real quickly. You children, you know, when you grab a hold of the Word of life, when you grab a hold of humility, when you grab a hold of working out your own salvation, it makes your parents proud. It makes them say, you know what? It was really hard. But I pushed through it and I can be proud of that. Paul was saying, Paul had labored among the Philippians. And I don't want to always bring this back to, to father and child. That's the way Paul described his relationship with different people at different times. And in, in this passage as well, we'll see him talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus as further examples down in this passage. But, you know, we can be talking about a father in the faith like Paul was to Timothy. You know, when you get on that, that besetting sin and you get counsel from a wiser person and they explain to you how to think about this problem, how to think about the situation that you're in, how to work out your own salvation. There's a certain amount of pride that's good. And so when you do well, you not only feel good, but the people who have helped you get there can also feel good. Do that for your parents. Do that for your parents in the Lord. Do that in those mentoring relationships. Develop humility. Work out your salvation. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you can shine like light. The third thing that he says in this passage is celebrate. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial altar of your faith. Listen to these words. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. I don't know if you see glad and rejoice in the same sentence. That sounds like celebration. So, what's he, what's he, what's he talking about celebrating? He's talking about celebrating being poured out on the sacrificial altar of your faith. Drink offerings were one of many kind of offering that happened in the Old Testament. You know, 
we're all familiar with the meat offerings, the animal offerings. And by the way, that was a lot of blood all the time. Why, why, why did God use that as an example? He really wanted to drive home how bad our sin is. How much that offends the heart of God. That animals, cute little animals, have to die for covering our sin. There's a lot of blood. But he also had grain offerings, bread, you know. A lot of what was in the Old Testament were, were, were grain offerings given to the Lord. And then finally, a drink offering where you would take expensive wine that you had carefully preserved. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Just for the record. But you'd take this sacrifice, sacrifice and literally pour it out in front of the Lord. Why would you take such an expensive thing and just pour it out? Why would you cook an expensive sacrifice and then not eat it? Some of the sacrifices were eaten, some of them weren't. But the drink offering here that Paul's talking about is just expensive, nice, beautiful wine that's dumped out. He brings though that that picture that was in Hebrews' minds very, very, very solidly in their minds. He brings that over to the New Testament and says that my life might be poured out as a sacrificial offering, a drink offering. Literally, without being too graphic, his blood, his life was going to be. Poured out. You think about Paul. I mean, this guy went to the best schools. He wrote most of our New Testament. He was a man that was devoted to God. You'd think, if I was God, I'd think, I want to keep him alive as long as I can. I want to keep my most important ball player as protected as I can. Well, that may be a good strategy in football. But God's strategy is often that His most precious, most humble, most beautiful person is poured out on the sacrificial altar of your faith. Paul doesn't say this is a bad thing. And we shouldn't see it as a bad thing either. This is, this is something that blesses God. We've already seen in the first chapter how that His testimony spread the Gospel all over the Imperial Guard. It also emboldened people to take up His cross. He is dying for the sake of the altar. For the sake of, of the Gospel. And He's rejoicing for it. People have sacrificed to give you the Gospel. And I'm looking at everybody when I say this. 
There are a lot of people who have sacrificed a lot of things in order for you to sit here today and open God's Word and discuss it and to be encouraged by one another. You know, I think the beautiful exercise that we did this morning can only be done after months of hard work of you dealing with people that may have an irritating personality. Loving them anyway. Sharing anyway. It takes a lot of sacrifice to get something good. And Paul is not saying, you know, you bunch of knuckleheads, here I am getting ready to die for you. And no. He's saying, my life I give willingly and I'm glad about it. Celebrate. Rejoice. Likewise, I'm glad. Rejoice with me. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial altar offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You know, when difficulty comes into your life and people get a chance to see the true you, celebrate that. It's the only way sometimes that you can see the purpose behind suffering is if you can see how it impacts other people. And let me tell you something, Paul's sacrifice was not without impact. It was a huge impact. So three things that I want you to remember for sure. Work out. Don't whine. And celebrate. Now for sermon number two. That was sermon number one. Now sermon number two, as I look back down through this passage, you guys think I'm kidding, don't you? (laughs) Um, As I look down through this passage, I just couldn't help but outline it in a different way. And it looks like we don't have... So let me tell you about this first slide. No. Um, I would, I would outline it, I outlined it in a little bit different way. Let me just read you verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This next part, emphasis mine, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You know, the Bible clearly is saying work out your own salvation, but you know what else? He's also clearly saying it's God. You should work. And you should try to figure it out. But understand, at the end of the day, it is God that works in you, both to will and to act. Let me just tell you something. Your best isn't good enough. You can never be completely rid of grumbling and complaining. You can never work out your salvation to perfection. It's not going to happen. God takes you 
and make something really special out of it. I don't know about you guys, but um, you know, I mourn over the mistakes that I've made in my life, the mistakes that I continue to make, and sometimes I just get all up in my head about how terrible of a person I am and how how I haven't done this right and haven't done that right. And about that time, there's always somebody right there ready to tell you the same thing <laughs> about how you haven't done something right or you haven't, um, you know, haven't got it together. And you're like, you know, I was just thinking about that. I think you're right. I like to make biscuits with my kids and my dad before me made biscuits with me. And, you know, one of the things that, that he would do is roll out his biscuit dough and he'd take nice big glasses and just twist those nice big round, perfectly round biscuits and they look so nice. You know, Tudor's Biscuit World, got nothing on my dad as far as biscuits. But at the end, when you're done with all your nice, perfect, beautiful looking biscuits, What's left? All those scraps, right? Well, I don't know if my dad thought through this. It was probably something that his dad, knowing um, my grandfather, um, also taught him. But he would take those scraps of biscuits and he would shape them into the map of West Virginia. I don't know why he chose West Virginia. Oh, wait. Yes, I do. He loved West Virginia. He'd form it into a map of West Virginia. Or maybe the initial of our name. And maybe a big H he would make for me. Or maybe a W or one of my brothers. And you know what? He would put those in there right along beside the, the perfect pristine biscuits. Let me ask you a question. Which one of those biscuits did you want? I wanted the map of West Virginia or the one with the initial. It was special to me. God does that in your life. God takes the mistakes that you've made. God takes the failures that you've had and He forms them into a beautiful map of West Virginia. Okay, well, maybe not. Okay, maybe, maybe my patriotism is going a little too far. Uh, there's a line there somewhere where that stuff's healthy and, and it gets unhealthy. No, but God's taken those things into your life and sometimes the biggest pain that you've had in your life might be the biggest chance for the Gospel to be advanced. It was true here. And so even if you're poured out like a drink offering, celebrate. Be glad and rejoice. And have other people rejoice with you. It's God that works in you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So, in conclusion, short message, second message is a little bit shorter. Um, in conclusion, work out. Figure it out. Try to do better. Try to think about your life and your salvation. Try to, try to make it even more real. Try to die to yourself. Try to, to get a hold of that thing. Work out your own salvation and be serious about it. Secondly, don't whine. Do all things without grumbling. 
and disputing. That you may be children of God without, that you may be without fault, blameless, without blemish. Hold fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I'm sorry, hold fast. in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the Word of Christ, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain. So, work out, don't whine, and be sure to celebrate. Rejoice with people who have impacted your life. Tell people, I'm going to tell you something, there's nothing more encouraging than to tell somebody how the pain and suffering that's happened in their life has actually served to advance the Gospel. Celebrate that together. And the fourth thing, it's God that's working. Don't get too much up in your head about how you have or haven't figured the Christian life out. How you have or haven't applied all the principles that you need. How you have or haven't been able to be just as gracious as God is. How you've not grumbled or not complained or not disputed. Don't get too caught up in that. It's God who works in you. Both to will and to act. According to His good pleasure. God holds us all. Right there in the palm of our hand. The palm of His hand. And He'll take even the scraps and make it the most valuable biscuit ever. He does that. He does that. Father, thank You very much for Your Word. Your Word that is sharp, quick, and it pierces right down to the dividing of our soul and our spirit. It, it, it illuminates us and our lives. Everything, all things are naked and open before You, before Your Word. May You work in us. And, and, and now let me just say this. I know that You are working in us the humility from chapter 2. In, in the book of Philippians. Thank You. Thank You that we're able to muddle through that and that You turn things out for a good thing. May we celebrate You together today because of that. Thank You, God. What can I do but thank You? What can I do but give my life to You? Hallelujah, hallelujah. What can I do, Lord, but praise You every day? Make everything I do. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
When I hear the story of a God of mercy who shared humanity and suffered by our side of the cross they nailed you to that could not hold you now you're making all things new by the power of your risen life so what can i do but thank you what can i do but give my life to you hallelujah hallelujah what can i do lord but praise you every day make everything i do hallelujah 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 oh hallelujah god we know that as we live in obedience to you as we seek to work out what you have worked into us God there's no room for grumbling or disputing because we are just poor helpless beggars receiving everything that we have from your hand so help us to turn that around God help us to breathe in your grace breathe out your praise which again chokes out the grumbling and complaining Help us to work out, God. Help us not to whine. And help us to celebrate who you are and what you've done in our lives, knowing that it is you who is at work. And God, we know back from chapter 1 that what you have started, you will perfect. And you have started a good work. Help us, God, to work it out. Help us to make everything we do a hallelujah to you. And as we do that, we will shine as lights in a darkened world. Now, God, as we enjoy this time of fellowship and food together, may Your blessing be upon it. May Your praise be on our lips. And may Your glory be revealed through us. We love You because You loved us first. And we praise You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great day.